0: I'm Steve Kozarek, co-director and co-producer of A Disturbance in the Force.
1: So tell me, what what got you interested in this phenomenal two-hour special (laughs) that aired way back in 1978? Well, I have a trade association um, for
0: what I do. I'm president of a trade association of uh, footage people that are involved in footage and third-party footage, third-party content. And we had, um, we were thinking of doing a live event of a bad television show. Something to, like, just to kind of, like, go over, a, like, one of the worst TVs, like the Brady Bunch Variety Hour or something like that, you know. And as I started working on this, I started realizing that my father, who was a producer, uh, he used to produce those awful Bob Hope specials. Um, and... He's passed away now and he'll have to atone for that. Uh, so he, he, he produced all those shows. And because the star Wars holiday special is more of a television show than a star Wars project. There was all these people involved in it that I grew up with. And I just realized this like, you know, a couple of years ago. So I started reaching out and realizing, Oh my gosh, the director was like a really good friend of my dad's and, all these people had kind of circulated the, the business, gone from show to show. They, they, you know, the same people worked at the Bob Hope special, worked at Donnie and Marie, worked at the TV at the, at the holiday special, worked on Sid and Marty Croft's H&R Pup and stuff or whatever. I mean, just, it's this very small world. And um, I, knew, I knew a lot of them. So that made it um, people I think were maybe a little bit more trusting to talk to me because uh, I was – you know, almost family to some of them.
1: So, so, so a film like this, which obviously is is tied to one of the most historic and iconic franchises in all of cinematic history. How did it become so poorly made?
0: Wow. That's a, well, there's many, many answers for that, but, um, I think the the biggest problem that it had was that it um, it didn't really know what it was going to be. Uh, I think that Lucas and um, the director that he brought in was a high was a was a college buddy of his uh, that he kind of pushed into the role, and some of the a couple of the writers were more into the let's make it an adventure show, let's make it an adventure. Uh, you know, almost kind of like uh I don't know if I'm dating anyone here, but almost kind of like Kiss Meets Phantom of the Park, which came out around the same time, which was the members of KISS at Six Flags Magic Mountain and there was this adventure with them and they had some songs I guess at the end of it. But um that is really the problem is that they were they were they were interjecting with T V variety that had B. Arthur and Harvey Corman and all these, you know, that, that was the that was the world of, of TV variety. And trying to make, a, trying to put them in that, you know, square peg into a round hole was really the issue. Um, there was other issues. There was one, uh, there was the issue that, that there was not really one person in charge. Lucas never really was in charge, although he was a lot more involved than... I think he admits to, um, but that was. Um, I would say that that's probably the, the biggest issue is that is that it, it just it didn't really know what it wanted to be. So when everyone started leaving the project and their time was up of it, it was time for the the two people that were editing it were two variety show producers from Carol Burnett that had never edited before and acknowledged in the documentary i mean she's even crying on tape saying how she didn't know what to do uh, she was you know she was scared out of her mind she never edited anything and that's who put the whole thing together so it was
1: kind of a kind of
0: a nightmare from the
1: start how was it perceived at the very beginning was there was there immediate criticism or backlash or i mean at the time star wars obviously still is hot now but that's when it was super hot.
0: Well, and I have a definite, very specific opinion about that. I feel that the real, uh, you know, there there's what happens is is that you know you're, Star Wars goes away. The, the Star Wars holiday special just literally disappears from the face of the planet. It's on a couple of people had recorded on Betamax, but that's pretty much it. It never repeats. It never, it never re It's not included in any kind of a compilation that, that Lucasfilm was putting out. It just literally disappears off the face of the planet until it starts to slowly make its way back because of the advent of DVDs and it starts selling copies at trade conventions and then with the internet and YouTube in 2005, all of a sudden it's made available. By that time, people are looking at it and it looks so weird but my 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 theory is that it didn't, I don't think it looked as weird to people who saw it in 1978. I saw it, I didn't think it was that bad. But we had low expectations for TV variety shows in 1978. You know, when I would, I remember, if you remember the the prior year to the Star Wars Holiday Special, Smith Hemian, who was this production company, had done the David Bowie Bing Crosby special. Same people who put together the worst special of all time literally created one of the greatest television moments ever put on tape. I don't know if you agree with that, but the David Bowie Bing Crosby moment is something that's, to this day, it gives me shivers. It's, it's, it's so amazing. Phenomenal song. Yeah. And just, the, just bringing those two people together, like three generations apart, I mean, you know, and, and David Bowie was so obscure at the time. It never appeared on television. And I guess what I'm saying is that there was this low expectation for variety shows because they used to like, they'd throw in like, well, David Bowie for the little kids and we'll get Bing Crosby for the adults and we'll put in some old, vaudeville guy for the older people and they they have this mixed demo because they try to get everyone in the family to watch so therefore everyone in the in the family did not no one got a 100 percent good experience they're watching like i watched because i watched my david bowie thing and i got my two songs and then i moved on and then i went and and left the room <laughs> i didn't sit through anything else so the same thing with the holiday special I was watching because of Han Solo. I got to see my, my five ten minutes of Han Solo. And I felt that that's all I was given. It was almost like you didn't really deserve more than that, you know? <laughs> and so we got that. And I think that there was such low expectations. People were just used to just not getting a 100. You know, nowadays they would just, do a David Bowie special, or they would just do it, you know, they would just give people what they want. There's more niche programming. At that point, they're trying to get everyone in the family sitting there watching it. And because of that, it waters the whole thing down. So I think that it was, I I don't think, I think when people watch it now and and are horrified, they also, which is one of the point of the documentary, they also will be horrified when they watch the Brady Bunch Variety Hour and the Bob Hope specials, it was all awful television. I mean, it was all horrific. It was just so, you know, vaudevillian and, and slapstick and, and, you know, whatever. I and mean, I the shame is my dad produced that stuff. So. <laughs> <laughs>
1: well, I was, I was thinking about, like, the Star Wars thing. I was talking about this with one of my colleagues this morning, that, like, Star Wars in general, everything seemed to work out. Like it it almost is like the perfect story for Lucas and for everyone involved, you could argue, because like, you know, some of the silly ideas weren't that silly or they cut out some parts of just the the franchise of the movies and whatnot outside of the prequels. I'm just talking about the original three and what made them so special is that there really wasn't like that one dramatic dud or big mistake in those films. So maybe this was just that thing that there has to be something that went wrong. (laughs) Maybe it's just this. Well, and uh, Mark Hamill
0: has said a couple of times that, um, because, you know, Lucas definitely makes a point. I mean, if you notice, and I'm I'm diverting here, but sorry, but Lucas every year after, for the 45 years since this was produced, every time he talks about it, he talks about it more as it's, you know, not something he was, you know, the first couple of years, he's like, yeah, we made a mistake. Yeah, we should have known this. Then, like, 10 years later, it's like, these guys were doing this show, and I let them do this. And then 45 years later, he doesn't even remember who the production company was, what channel it was on. It's this whole, like, I don't even remember. And he was involved in it. He wrote a treatment for it, a, a horrific treatment that we explore in the documentary that includes Raquel Welch as an imperial spy. I mean, Lucas's treatment is so much weirder that wound up happening, <laughs> but he did that. He, he got his director involved. He, um, he allowed his trademark. He, he allowed the show to happen. He sat in and, and talked to the writers. He came to meetings. He showed up with a, 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 a kind of a, um, like a mock-up, of that head thing that uh, the the mind evaporator that that the, that the older wookie wears while he's watching the porn <laughs> right i mean he he created that and he brought it to a meeting and and he also most importantly he 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 convinced, he convinced all the three main actors to be in the special against their interests and so for him to say all these years that he wasn't really involved in it is such a weak cop out because it's like you've had such successes. Just acknowledge that you were involved in this. Don't try to, you know so anyway, I'm sorry, I'm diverting on that. You 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 basically had asked um about um
1: Yeah, they allowed that one big
0: mistake. Yes, yes. And and Mark Hamill makes a big point about saying, George, we gotta really like acknowledge this. Like let's just you know, it, it makes us look. Um, it looks like it makes us look like we're like no one's perfect. Like everyone makes mistakes, and and we should just. And he said it several times. that He's told George, we should just acknowledge it. And and it makes us look. It makes us look human. We're you know, everyone makes mistakes. I mean, I'll tell you that as bad as the Star Wars holiday special is, that scene with Carrie Fisher flying through the air after she's dead or whatever it is in last Jedi is by far weirder and stupider than anything in the entire weirder than Jar Jar Binks. I mean, it's just, that is so bizarre. And this was after she was dead. They didn't even need to keep her alive. Oh,
1: so bizarre. (laughs) All right. Uh, So, so I, I I should have asked this first, Steve, you are a, a star Wars fan. Would you consider yourself a pretty hardcore fan of the franchise? Um,
0: you know, I think that's what kind of makes the project uh, south, uh, a positive project that we're able to. I worked with a guy who was a producer of, um, he had produced Napoleon Dynamite. He did the Raiders uh, fan film documentary, if you saw that. Um, and we both are Star Wars fans, but we're not, we're not nutty fans. You know, we're not obsessive fans. I did name one of my kids Lucas.
1: Sorry. Wow. I'm guilty as, guilty as charged. Um, so you're kind of a fan then. <laughs>
0: yeah, no, I am.
1: A, I'm definitely a
0: fan. I mean, I yeah, I mean, I, I'm i definitely a fan, but I'm not obsessive. I don't know anything about a lot of the, the Star Wars lore. And I wrote a book about it as well that comes out in September. And that that I have to really explore stuff. And I, luckily we were able to get some Star Wars um Aficionados involved. There's a guy named Kyle Newman who wrote and directed uh, Fanboys. If you ever saw Fanboys, great, yeah, yeah. great film. And uh, he was kind of like our 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 nerd producer that uh, filled us in on everything. We had a couple of people like Kyle on staff. So, so yeah. I mean, I love Star Wars, but uh, not we. Jeremy and I, uh, the, the co-directors, we're not we're not obsessive. We're not
1: upset. All right. Fair enough. Yeah. All right. Before I let you go, I, I appreciate your time. Um, so we, we, we run this, uh, I guess I'll call it a game. It's not really a game, but we do this thing called the 5Q. So we ask five questions of our guests, and then we compare our answers with theirs. So if you don't mind, I'm going to rattle off a couple of questions, and if you could answer and give a, a reaction to, and these are all Star Wars related. Um, okay. So here's, uh, we'll start with this. Um, who is the most underrated character in the franchise
0: Underrated character um, Walrus Man Walrus Man is the guy who gets his, his hand cut off in the um, in the cantina bar by Obi-wan Kenobi.
1: I remember. Yeah. He he actually
0: has a life after that in some of the uh books that he and this guy who's with him and says he doesn't like you. I don't like you either. You know, those guys are like a duo and they like they have other adventures in the in the uh in the Star Wars universe.
1: Oh, fantastic.
0: Yeah, they're, Walrus man. You didn't see that
1: coming, did you? Oh, I love it. Okay, here's the next one. Did Han Solo shoot first?
0: Of course he did, because that's the type of person he is. He's not a Boy Scout. Of course he shot first. And it's so offensive to think that he was, Oh, don't get me started on that.
1: Oh, yes, I love it. Please first.
0: continue. <laughs> no, he's of course he shot first. And that's just such a frustrating issue to to go back and change... You know, it, it's almost like when you think about the other thing with Han Solo in Indiana Jones. Remember that great moment where where he's having the fight with the other guy and the guy's got the, 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 the swords and he's dancing the swords around and he pulls out his in Indiana Jones, just pulls out his gun and shoots him. You know, that to me was are you going to rewrite that, too, because it makes him look like he you know, he wasn't in threat, wasn't threatened. Ridiculous. It was just comedy. It's funny.
1: The fantastic, fantastic part of the Indiana Jones movie. All right, here's one. Jar Jar Binks, yay or nay? Nay. Why?
0: Um, well, you know, there's a little thing in there, and, and I, I don't know if anyone knows this, if you're a Star Wars, a Star Wars fan, but in, in the second movie, uh, Attack of the Clones, there was so much hatred towards Jar Jar Binks. There is a shot when they're in the elevator, where he kind of waves to the camera. He kind of looks at the camera as soon as he's in the in the comes into the story, and he kind of gives the. It's almost like he's giving the audience a little wink, and some people had described that as being like that was george lucas's way of saying hey i'm not just just cuz you don't like him doesn't mean i'm going to listen to you 100% i still have him in the movie we've cut him out quite significantly but he's still there the little bit of a wink he gives the audience just turns his head to the camera and
1: looks at the audience
0: so yeah but yeah that's was the most ridiculous uh, ridiculous yeah ridiculous
1: I uh, heard a theory that um, maybe he was a Sith Lord <laughs> trying to mess up everything.
0: Oh, interesting. Interesting.
1: Yeah, uh, you can find that online somewhere, I'm sure. Okay, uh-huh. next one. Worst film of the nine-film franchise?
0: Um, this is an easy one.
1: Rise of Skywalker. Um.
0: I remember. I remember when I saw this movie. I have seven kids, six boys, raised with this Star Wars, and all this stuff. So when the movies, when the when the last three came out, I mean, I was like ridiculous about like. I'm going to buy tickets. We're going to go to the El Capitan Theater in in Hollywood, which is an amazing, old fashioned restored theater. And we're going to go out to dinner beforehand. I mean, I had this whole thing reserved. And I had a couple of my kids were actually living out of town at the time. And I'm just like, this is going to be great. And I, I was so anal about the whole thing. And then the second time, we I tried to do the same thing. And I remember one of my daughter, my my kids' uh, wives was like, I'm really upset. Sorry, I'm really feeling sick. And I don't think I should go. I'm so sorry if I'm going to ruin anything and i felt so stupid like she's having to apologize cuz she can't go to a star wars movie i
1: mean I, <laughs> I
0: felt like this is so stupid so when the third movie came out i didn't even go to the theater i was so embarrassed about that i saw it on on uh i saw it literally when it came out on on uh you know paper, t- paper t- pay, pay tv and i remember watching it and hating it so much that it did something me- that you would never think could happen i actually reconsidered why do i even like star wars that's how bad it was it questioned my even my interest in the entire franchise that's how much it sucked
1: so <laughs> you know you make me feel better because i actually was very disappointed but I, I was disappointed by episode three also. But I was disappointed with episode nine. And actually, like, the last three, they all have their moments. It's candy for me. You know, like, I, I'll, I'll go see. Any movie you make, I'm going to go see it. You know, but, like, whether or not it's great or not, who knows. But, like, what it reminded me of is that, like, they clearly didn't have a plan. Yeah, and that just disappointed me that here you had this great opportunity. You can make a ton of money. And they had no plan for those three movies. Or at least it didn't appear that way. Like, the, no, the story arcs were all funky and silly and no plan on what they were trying to do
0: i liked the i liked the first one 7 i liked that one a lot i thought that was uh, that was good but the one i think that doesn't get the credit um although i i disagree with you i think 3 was makes up for the fact the scene between obi-wan kenobi and um and uh skywalker obi-wan kenobi and skywalker yeah yeah Uh, when they're leaving each other and he's saying, I loved you, you were my brother. I mean, that to this day gives me goosebumps. That to me makes up for that entire horrific film, but that, that saves it. But uh, I have to say the one that misses that I think should be included in there is Rogue One, because I think Rogue One to me was the movie that I thought the prequels were going to be, because when I remember when they were going to set the prequels up, I thought, Oh, you're going to explain to us exactly right up to when Star Wars: A New Hope starts. That's what I want to see—is the whole, the whole, this whole Death Star plan—is you know all that stuff that they've been talking about—and it's not even in any of the prequels. So I was disappointed that they didn't—they didn't really bring it right up to Star Wars, and that's what Rogue One did. That's what I, I think Rogue One is. One of the best.
1: No, oh, love Rogue for One. reason. Yeah. Uh, okay, next one. If you had to fly in a rocket ship, which pilot would you ask to fly you and why?
0: Um, I'd probably ask Chewbacca uh, because I think Chewbacca is unemotional. And um, I would probably have more trust in Chewbacca because he was trained by Han Solo, by a by Han Solo. And, um,
1: yeah, I would say I'd have my faith in the Wookiee. Fantastic. Well, welcome to Milwaukee when you get here. Thanks so much. And I have to say, may the force be with you.
0: Thank you so much. I enjoyed your show. Thank you. Eric, good day.